This is Michael Fabiano, Senior Fantasy Analyst for SI.com slash fantasy. And now is the time to get ready for Sunday's full slate of action. And there is no better place to get in the game than with DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. To add to this week's excitement, DraftKings Sportsbook is rolling out a can't-miss offer. If you haven't tried DraftKings Sportsbook yet, head to the App Store now because you don't want to miss this. DraftKings Sportsbook is giving all new users the chance to turn $1 into $100 when they bet on any team. That's right. You can place a $1 bet on any team, and if that team wins, you cash a cool Benjamin. How could you pass that up? If you're new to DraftKings Sportsbook, head to the app now to scout their latest offers. Bet with DraftKings Sportsbook, a sportsbook that goes wherever you go. DraftKings is safe, reliable, and secure, making it easy for you to deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code SI when you sign up to get this can't-miss offer. Pick any team during week one, bet $1 on them, and win $100 if they win. That's $1 to win $100 when you use promo code SI during sign-up. For a limited time only, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. This is the SI Fantasy Podcast. He's going to see his production decrease at least 15 to 20%, so I think he might actually be a fantasy bust in 2020. Head to SI.com slash fantasy for all the latest news, advice, and more to help you win your league. I look at his athletic ability, his explosiveness. He's very good in the red zone. He's able to get you those touchdowns. I mean, this guy had five touchdowns and 30 receptions. That's pretty much unheard of. Don't forget to subscribe to SI Fantasy Plus for even more content you won't find anywhere else. Every single running back in his first year as the featured back under Andy Reid dating back to 1999 has been the RB10 or better. How can we go wrong here with the glide guys? Here are your hosts, Corey Parson, Dr. Roto, and Michael Fabiano. What's up and welcome inside the SI Fantasy Podcast brought to you by DraftKings. I'm your host Corey Parson, the fantasy executive, excuse me, rocking with my guys Michael Fabiano and Dr. Roto. The first Monday after the first Sunday, week one, almost in the book. Still got some Monday Night Football tonight. We'll get into that a little bit later on. We'll also look at some rookie debuts. Got some waiver wide gems you need to have your eyes on. Got to go through the injury situations, and we got a ton of stuff to get into. Mike, what's up with you, my man? How'd you enjoy the first Sunday of the season? It was great having football back, but what the hell, man? Kick the field goal, McCarthy. Jeez oh Louise. Right? I mean, I did well in fantasy. By the way, I blew the Aaron Rodgers call. I think a lot of people probably did the same thing, but holy cow, did he look great. But overall, I think the week was great. It went well, but Mike McCarthy, I mean, geez, Louise. You know what, uh, exec? I, I was kind of bummed out that Jason Garrett wasn't there to make that decision because he's so conservative. He would have went for the field goal and we would have exactly. tied the game. But regardless, whatever it is, what it is, I mean, it's it, it's this Dallas being Dallas, bro. No, 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 no it, that didn't look good last night. We'll get into that a little bit later on because I have some observations about that game, too, mm-hmm. and a certain coordinator that should not be on the staff, Um, at least from some of the people that I have talked to. Doc, what's up with you, my man? How did week one go for you? Week one went pretty well. I mean, I, I like to, I always like to be right, as you know, and I was pretty right. I mean, I think we saw some things that we could always take note of. Uh, Rogers look good, but that Minnesota secondary is very young. 
Uh, you know, some bad injuries for people, Marlon Mack, Blake Jarwin, Leighton Vander Esch, who I think is a really good linebacker. I hate to say that for two Cowboys there. Mm -hmm. But I, I think we have to, you know, we, we, we grow, we adapt, and we get smarter, right? And that's the thing. If you didn't do well in week one, we're here to help you get do well in week two. No doubt about that. So we got you covered. Let's get ready to hop right in. Josh Jacobs, Mike, he goes off big game from Josh Jacobs. I think this kid is looking at an RB1 season. Like, I mean, I don't want to overreact because that's what we do on Mondays is overreact. <laughs> I really like the way he, I really like the way he played yesterday. Yeah, it looked great, man. And this is sort of what we were expecting from Josh Jacobs. I don't know three touchdowns, but also Carolina's run defense is trash. It was last year as well. But you like to see the numbers, right? Twenty-five attempts. He had six targets. So that's sort of what we wanted. We wanted more in terms of a featured role. We wanted more opportunities as a pass catcher, and we got it. Four catches for forty-six yards. As long as this dude's out there, man, I mean, he's locked and loaded as an RB1. And I feel like that's where most people drafted him. He was at the turn, bottom of the first round, top of the second round in that RB1 conversation. So maybe he should have gone in the top eight. But right now, you're feeling pretty good if you drafted Josh Jacobs. You got to be feeling that way, Doc. Oh, yeah. I just want a couple of things. When, when the Raiders are ahead... Jacobs is absolutely the running back to own because Gruden just gives him the ball. I mean, look, 25, almost 30 touches in week one, 29 touches in week one. That's amazing. But let's get to the Carolina for a second here. It almost felt like they were underusing Christian McCaffrey. He got three receptions. I mean, when Robbie Anderson is doubling McCaffrey's receptions, that's troublesome. And on fourth and one, how are you giving the ball to your fullback? That I mean, that stupid. may be the that worst so play stupid. calling Carolina Panthers history. Yeah, that was no, that was a bad one right there. I definitely saw that. I was kind of figuring out what was going on. I don't want to say it looked like Matt Rule was in over his head because I thought they played a good game. But with Matt Rule and his coaching decisions are going to be something that we're going to be watching throughout the course of the season, fellas. I'm speechless. I don't. I don't have any words for it except speechless. Like it just is a collegiate type of call that is not a call you make in the NFL. <laughs> no, it is not a call you make in the NFL. Speaking of collegiates, two great college running backs, Adrian Peterson and Todd Gurley. Boy, I tell you what, you look at Gurley, he ran well yesterday, Mike, but Adrian Peterson, a walking Hall of Famer. I'm, this guy can't, he just keep getting it done. Old man strength. What did I say last week? Adrian Peterson was not going to go to a team where he was going to be on the sidelines. Now, I didn't realize he was going to have that many touches. Okay. I mean, like, it was bananas. It was unbelievable. DeAndre Swift, and by the way, I feel so bad for that kid, man, because he's got to feel like the, the sickest man in Detroit after dropping that touchdown from Matthew Stafford would have had a much better fantasy performance as well. But I mean, look at the touch share, 70% for Adrian Peterson, 17% for DeAndre Swift. You look at the snaps, Peterson at 24, Swift at 34, okay? The rushes, 58% of the rushes went to Adrian Peterson. So... Now, we were worried about a two-headed monster in Detroit. Now we got a three-headed monster in Detroit. But don't you so, think, Fabs, that was because of game flow? I mean, they were winning the game by, oh, by, no. by a ton. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And if Detroit's playing from behind in the second half, you're going to see more of DeAndre Swift. That's absolutely the case. But the problem is you've got another component in that backfield that in a situation where Detroit's in a game, Peterson's going to take carries away from DeAndre Swift. I think that's true, but I mean, b both both guys. H how does Detroit give up that kind of lead in the fourth quarter? I mean, no, that was you, terrible. That is just terrible. And Jamie Collins, what are you doing? You're the best linebacker in that team, and you get yourself thrown out of the game. Yeah, that was smart. Nah, Fabs, I'm looking at this Mike Patricia situation, and I think that this is the guy that could be on the hot seat pretty quickly. You know what I'm saying? If if this team doesn't pull it together, because that should have been a win in the bag right there. There was some questionable uh, using uses of the clock and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, but those running backs. 
Mike, do you if you are a Swift or a or a carry on uh, manager, how do you feel? I don't feel good. I, I feel like and I've said it before, I think Swift's going to end up being the guy at some point during the course of the regular season, but he is not going to be the featured back. OK, he is going to end up being the guy who will lead this team in touches more weeks than not. But Peterson's going to play, man. And maybe I, I think Peterson and I said this also last week, Peterson hurts carry on Johnson more than he hurts. Uh, DeAndre Swift at some point, I think carry on Johnson's ended up being waiver wire fodder. He only played 20 snaps in that game yesterday. So that's a big time issue, but Swift at worst is going to be sharing the workload with Adrian Peterson and carry on Johnson is going to mix in there as well. So you're not going to be able to rely on this rookie as much as we had sort of hoped to uh, be able to re- rely on him in year one. No, that I would agree with you on that. I don't think it's way of wire fodder yet, but it's going to be something to keep an eye on the carry on Johnson knee brace guys. They call him down there <laughs> in Detroit uh, could be in some trouble. Doc, man, if it, I shout out to all the people that got the draft day discount on Aaron Rodgers. He came out, he was winging it. And plus we're starting to see, okay, it may be, who do you, I want to know from you, doc, your, your thoughts on Aaron Rodgers and who do you think is the number two wide receiver out there? Well, I think that people were a little shocked because they were talking about Marquez Valdez-Scantling and Camp being doing a good job. But I think people are like, eh, this guy was a bust last year. We don't trust him, blah, blah, blah. But he played pretty well. And I think he spreads the field, right? So Lazard is a very trustworthy receiver. Adams is going to be the number one receiver in the NFL this year. I don't think there's any question about that. Look at that target share. Uh, wow. So I don't, no, that's, I don't even think that's going on a limb. I, I think that Devontae Adams is going to see 10 to 14 targets a week. I mean, that's that's the kind of guy, the guy he is. So what's interesting is that we didn't hear Jordan Love, but I do think that the Packers took advantage of a Viking secondary that is very young. And I mean, your guy, Kirk Cousins, in the first half exec, you had to be right. mortified when he had 32 yards passing. I mean, Jesus what's Christ. up with that play calling there for Minnesota? That's horrific. No, I didn't. I didn't like it. I'll be honest with you. And, and the, the Kirk Cousins MVP meter is going down. Mike, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I didn't like it at all. Can you figure out? Uh, let, me, let, let Can you let, let me give you a shot at the pack of wide receivers? Valdez Scantling and and um, what's the old boy name? Um, Alan, Alan Lazard. Lazard. What do you think about rosterability of those two players? Well, Lazard should be owned. Uh, I, I, it's it's so we we go through this every year as as sort of you know analysts, right? All the dudes who have already been drafted in our leagues are ridiculously available in home leagues. Like I didn't even put Dallas Goddard in my waiver wire piece because I'm thinking there's no way he's available. I go to ESPN. He's owned 30% of leagues. I'm like, what? (laughs) It's crazy. Right? So like Lazard was always that late round guy that is a wide receiver five that you, you you take the, you take the, the flyer on. And yesterday he was great. 68 snaps, uh, played 80, 87% of the offensive plays for green Bay. He's clearly the number two there. Uh, MVS played at 53.8% of the snaps. So, but MVS, I feel like he is in a deeper league sort of scenario, whereas Lazard should have been owned already. And if he's not, then you absolutely go out there, uh, and you grab him because if that's going to be the Aaron Rodgers that we see in 2020, holy cow, heck yeah, boy. I mean, Lazard needs to be owned across the board. No doubt, but we hope that is the case. Doc did mention that Minnesota Vikings secondary. Going to be interesting to see how that situation plays out moving along. Doc, Cam Newton is New England Patriots RB1. Yeah, he is. He is. He's the RB1. Yeah, he had 15 no carries. It's crazy. There's no question. I mean, guys, look, here's my biggest problem with Cam Newton. 
I think he devalues all those receivers. Don't kid yourself, right? Do not kid yourself. I mean, Julian Edelman is not, I mean, five, six catches a game. Nikhil Harry, it it becomes a Cam Newton offense, right? And that's how the mm-hmm. Patriots are going to be. And he, he looked great. I got it. It was the old Cam Newton on the field. But everybody outside of Cam Newton has to be devalued. And if you don't feel that way, I'm, I'm kind of shocked because maybe Edelman's got a little run there. And, and But I mean, Harry, five for 39, it's not like Cam is going to be throwing 47 times a game and he's very inaccurate when he does. So he's throwing these little quick passes and he was very successful. But of course, it was against a poor Miami defense. Fabs, is it the case where the, like, like, you know, like you buy the cake and not the icing and <laughs> Cam Newton is the cake and everything else is out the window? You know, but I feel like we talked about that, right, guys? I mean, we knew that everyone in terms of New England's offense was going to be devalued at some level without Tom Brady, even Julian Edelman. I said going into the year, he's, he's not going to have 100 catches, not by a mile. I said, if you get 70 out of them, then you're feeling pretty good. And, you know, he had seven targets, five catches in the game yesterday. So 65 to 70 catches. I mean, that's going to be that that's going to be some, somewhere in the sweet spot, maybe up to 75 catches. So Edelman had already sort of had that discount a little bit baked in. We, we saw Sony Michelle score a touchdown. So if you flexed them, OK, I mean, it was decent. It wasn't all that great. Rex Burkhead only had seven rushes. But Cam getting 15, what I saw yesterday was the old Cam Newton. It wasn't Clark Kent. It was super freaking man, okay? He was bananas good. Josh McDaniels, he dialed up a lot of RPOs and designed runs for Cam, and that's what we want because if Cam Newton is only throwing the football, he is not a reliable fantasy quarterback. But when he's running it, man, 15 carries, that might be a season high. I mean, let's be honest, but I tell you, I love the way they used him from a fantasy perspective. They won the game and Tom Brady lost. So Bill Belichick's probably, you know, having his cereal this morning, smiling a little bit. Hey, I won with Cam Newton, Tom Brady. Huh? You're 0-1, pal. Didn't look so good yesterday. So right now, if you drafted Cam Newton late, you are smiling all the way to a likely win in week one. No doubt about it. Aaron Rodgers and Cam Newton look like it could be two mid-round value quarterbacks that pop. Doc, when you look at Tampa Bay Buccaneer offense yesterday, uh, Tom Brady didn't look re- as sharp. We didn't get to see too much of Mike Evans. We know he was hurt. You saw Scotty Miller, Chris Godwin. Interesting O.J. Howard sightings, though. I think Tom Brady's going to get O.J. Howard a little bit more involved. I think that if he's the guy that's on the wire, you could pick him up. He might actually pop, even though Bruce Arians doesn't want him to. Look, I, I think Howard popped because Evans was not 100%. And, and, and I it? think that you know you're looking in terms of they just didn't seem like they were ready yet, that they still had kinks to work out. And you can't do that against the Saints. The Saints defense is just too good. So when you look at it and you say, if I want to make the Super Bowl, I've got to beat the New Orleans Saints. And right now the Buccaneers are not ready to do that, right? You didn't have Fournette. I mean, you're running Rojo 17 times. That's probably not a recipe to win. Godwin looked good, not great. Scotty Miller, I thought was a standout. I told you guys last week, I thought that he was going to emerge Mm -hmm. a little bit. Uh, but when you don't have Mike Evans, you lose that offense. I think, you know, for, on the opposite side of the ball, M- Michael Thomas was not really there. I know he got banged up a little bit, but I do think that the Buccaneers secondary is better than people thought. But I think the Buccaneers suffer in that those running backs out of the backfield make those catches. And Alvin Kamara killed them yesterday. So if you can't, if you can't beat the Saints, you're not going to be if, with Alvin Kamara catching for, for a touchdown pass and five for 51. So you got to figure it out. And I think that the Buccaneers have a lot of work to do. What do you think, Mike? Yeah, I, I think you're right. And after week one, you know, you just think of, all of the quote super teams that have been put together like Philadelphia so many years ago 
uh, the Browns last season and what all happened to them. So it takes more than just a whole bunch of guys who are big names and have a lot of talent to actually go out there and win football games in the National Football League. So it was a bad start for Brady uh, from a fantasy perspective. I mean, he wasn't terrible. He wasn't great. He had the rushing touchdown, which certainly helped. But this was not a great start. Rob Gronkowski had three targets. And Gronk was one of my busts going into the season. He was my big bust on the uh, preseason pro. And I just don't see him being reliable all season long. You mentioned OJ Howard. He had six targets in the game. Gronkowski only three. That's worrisome. You're not cutting Rob Gronkowski at this point, but keep in mind that this is not the same dude who was the elite tight end in fantasy football for so many years. And look at that running back situation. I mean, Ronald Jones, as Doc mentioned, you know, 17 carries. 3.9 yards per carry average. Not very good. Fournette was awful. Uh, only had five carries. Averaged one yard per carry. So if he fell forward five times, that's basically about what he did. I still think he's going to end up taking that job at some point sooner rather than later. But boy, I tell you, man, you did not get what you were hoping out of that Buccaneers offense from a fantasy standpoint in that game. Not even close. I think still going to be some time for that team to try to assimilate and put no that doubt. thing together. No so doubt. I'm not really trying to, you know, dump on them too much yet. It's going to be an interesting situation to watch and also to play at Tom Brady. We don't have to worry about the player Kyler Murray, though, Doc, because he's built for fantasy football. That offense is built for fantasy football. DeAndre Hopkins could threaten Devontae Adams for that number one wide receiver in the NFL in fantasy this year, Doc. I Listen, I'll be honest with you. I thought drafting the kid last year was a mistake. I thought bringing in Kingsbury was a mistake. I'm looking at it now like, yeah, I want, I want a yeah, piece of this. I, I just want to go back quickly. The Buccaneers are going to be just fine this week, and I think no they get the Panthers, so that's a get-well game quickly. Uh, yes, I'm with sir. you on, on Hopkins, and I think this is what Murray was lacking last year. Christian Kirk is not a number one receiver in the NFL. I mean, he had five targets. He had one catch. Maybe he's a three, and Larry Fitzgerald is a Hall of Famer. I get that. But, I mean, Murray did not have that go-to guy. You put Hopkins out there. And, I mean, and you've got to think Hopkins has to be motivated to stick it to Bill O'Brien. And Kingsbury is going to put him in a position to, to succeed. Now, Kyler's running the football, which we love to see because that w is what makes him special. Drake played pretty well, even though I thought he would have had a few more receptions. But now you have a number one receiver out there. And I think people were shocked. Oh, the 49ers lost to the Cardinals. I don't, it one didn't shock me. I think the Cardinals are real good team. And, and I wouldn't be surprised to see the rules reverse this year. If the 49ers went nine, uh, seven and nine and the Cardinals went nine and seven, I'd be the least shocked person on planet earth. 16 targets, Mike, for, for DeAndre Hopkins. That is an absolute boatload. I mean, no question. You were thrilled to see that because there has been a trend. And I mean, it, I get it, it's only one game, but there had been a trend of, you know, some big name wide receivers flipping teams and not being as good in that first season with their new squad. Odell Beckham Jr. in 2019 is the first example that comes to mind. But it was really good to see Kyler Murray targeting him so much. Murray, I tell you, he owns the Niners. I mean, he's played him three times and over 20 fantasy points in every single game. So if you were worried about starting Kyler Murray, I boy, you had not paying attention. But that offense is going to be explosive. I think the one thing that we definitely need to bring up, though, is the running back situation. Kenyon Drake, he did play 58 snaps compared to Chase Edmonds at 28, but... They basically scored the same number of fantasy points. Chase Edmonds, and I've said this before, may put a little bit of a bigger dent into uh, Kenyon Drake's value in 2020 than some people out there had projected. Drake still ended up having a decent game. It wasn't a huge game. But the fact of the matter here is that Chase Edmonds was sprinkled in there as well. So uh, keep tabs on that. Drake, 27% of the rushes yesterday. 
Chase Edmonds, 21.4%. So keep that in mind. Listening to the SI Fantasy Podcast brought to you by DraftKings, Michael Fabiano, Dr. Roto in the fantasy executive. That am I. All right, so listen up. Injuries. Fabs, your man, Le'Veon Bell. <laughs> just right just right off the gate. And I, you know what? I'm sick of it. You know what I mean? I, I had a team that put up 170-something points yesterday, and Le'Veon Bell was, an R- was the RB2. And I knew he was going to do that to me. <laughs> I have one share of Le'Veon Bell. One. And I benched him for James White. And James Ooh. White didn't do much either, but uh, it was better than what Le'Veon Bell. And Adam Gase had said after the game, well, I shouldn't have put him back in there because of the hamstring. That hamstring... Didn't we hear reports about the hamstring and camp and Bell was complaining that he wasn't out there? It's a mess, dude. This is why I didn't want Le'Veon Bell as anything more than an RB3 this season. And if that, because it's it's just, it's a bad situation. Get him out of there, man. Get him somewhere where someone's going to use him properly. It's not going to happen, unfortunately, in 2020 and who knows beyond. But Le'Veon Bell is not a dude that I trusted in drafts. He's not a dude that I trusted yesterday. And he's not going to be a dude that I can trust moving forward. And if he's unavailable next week or the week after that, I mean, who the hell do you go to in that backfield, right? Josh Adams, Frank Gore, 37 years old. They don't have Cordero Patterson. (laughs) I mean, who do you go to, right? I mean, there's big time question. I mean, I know Gase loves Gore, so maybe it's Gore, but dude, that, that whole team outside of Jameson Crowder, okay, who was bananas good yesterday, and maybe Chris Herndon from time to time, of course, that's a fantasy wasteland, boys. But the biggest problem yesterday, if you watch the game, Josh Allen literally could have sat down in a chair. That's how much time the he Jets had to throw suck. the football. I mean, that pass rush was the worst I think I've ever seen. When Josh Allen is throwing for 71.7% of his passes, I mean, when he's connecting at that rate, when this guy's a 58% pass, you know, connecting uh, accuracy guy. Come on, the Jets are awful. I don't know how Adam Gase makes it through week six. And by the way, uh, Allen's well, got Miami coming up in week two. It's, it's, oh, wow. You know what I'm saying? So Josh Allen could be off to a good start. See, here's the thing with, with Bell right quick. Like, do you, and I, you know, I'll let you guys both answer this quickly. If you are a Bell manager, is all hope lost? <laughs> Doc, I, I'm not feeling real good. How about you? <laughs> If I did 147 <laughs> leagues, I would not have rostered him in any one of them. It's just, it, you drafted him knowing there was risk, okay? And the injury didn't help things, obviously, because now you have question marks. But it's not like they have some young dude behind him on the depth chart who could potentially take over and be the guy if he gets hurt and misses time. There's nothing there, man. Frank Gore's 37. Josh Adams, a cast off from Philadelphia. You know, LaMichael, uh, LaMichael P. Ryan's banged up, so... I don't know, dude. That the jet the Jets are in tank for Trevor mode already. The Jets are going to be behind in every game. They really could use a Chris Thompson. They could use a, a, a Nime Hines. That's what the Jets need. They don't need Frank Gore. They don't need P. Ryan, who's not a great pass catcher either. They need a guy who's a PPR machine. They don't need Adam Gase. Speaking of Adam Gase, Devontae Parker, four for forty-seven, Mike, before he got injured. Oh, mm-hmm. uh, listen, I like Parker this year. I think listen, I think he's finally starting to see that stride come together last year. I was hoping to keep him going. I was hoping that he would keep that going, but that soft tissue injury jumped up and got him in game number one. Yep. I wasn't big on Parker. Like, if you got him as a three, like, I get it. I think I have, like, one share of Parker, and he's a three uh, in that league. So I understand because of all the excitement in the second half of last year, but people forget, man, like, that efficiency is not something that you can duplicate, no matter who you are. I mean, he was putting up just crazy bananas numbers, and he did it all without Preston Williams, who came back yesterday. So 
that's an issue. And then also keep in mind, he put up a lot of those numbers when Ryan Fitzpatrick was playing some really good football. And you know what we saw yesterday from Ryan Fitzpatrick? Three picks. And the dude who can absolutely turn on a dime from being really good to being absolute garbage. And I'm sure Dolphins fans are already clamoring for Tua Tungavaloa. Yeah, I'm sure they are. Doc, when you look at the situation in Indianapolis yesterday, Marlon Mack goes down with an injury. We saw Naheem Hines really stepping in and get the job done and do work. Jonathan Taylor also caught some passes. Where are you at right now in this situation in Indianapolis? And, oh, if I'm Phillip Rivers, I'd be careful with those interceptions because Jacoby Brissett is still on that team. <laughs> yeah, please. Jacoby Brissett stinks. I mean, he don't, really don't, bad. Don't, don't even break up his name. He don't turn the ball don't over. even bring up his name on this podcast ever. He's tall, awful. He don't, Doc, he don't turn awful, the ball over. Awful. There's no words. Awful. Now, listen. I think you had to worry about Taylor prior to the Mac injury because you're sitting there. You're like, Heinz found the end zone. Mac's getting the football. Where's my boy, Jonathan Taylor, who I spent a third round pick on. And then sadly, Mac gets injured and, you know, could be out for the season. And now all of a sudden it's a, it's a Jonathan Taylor love fest. And I think you have to pick up Heinz because they were talking about all, all preseason, all training camp that Heinz was going to get the catches out of the backfield. Now look, Phillip Rivers, they don't want to throw the ball 46 times. That's not a Colts offense. A Colts offense is when they throw the ball about 34 times a game. And I think now with Taylor, Taylor's going to get 20 attempts a game. Hines uh, is going to get six or seven attempts a game. You're going to see T.Y. Hilton play much better. C.J. Henderson did a very good job on Hilton yesterday. I don't think people appreciate how good a cornerback he is. I think that they'll be just fine. They get to play the Vikings this week, and that's a get-healthy game for the Colts. Mike, when I look at it, you know what I'm saying? The, the running back situation with Jonathan Taylor, I think I don't, I don't think it's no time. I don't think it's time to panic, overreact, nothing like that. I'll be honest with you, T.Y. Hilton. I get I get what Doc is saying with C.J. Henderson, but T.J. Hilton kind of looked washed to me a little bit yesterday. What was your takeaway from that Charger game? So when you're looking, I mean the Colts. When, I'm when sorry, you're I'm thinking at, about Phil Rivers. Yeah, I know, right? When you're looking at that offense, and and Doc said it's unfortunate that Marlon Mack got hurt, but if I have Jonathan Taylor right now, dude, I'm I'm dancing in the street, okay? Because he is going to be the guy at the top of that depth chart. Naheem Hines is going to play. I mean, let, let's not get things twisted. He actually led that backfield in snaps. Nobody saw it coming. And before Matt got hurt, he was getting goal line opportunities. I mean, he scored twice, which was like, I'm watching the game and I'm thinking, all right, Jonathan Taylor, or maybe Mac, uh, that's 21 in there. They're using the heat. I'm the goal line. Oh my gosh. So, but it's going to be something that, that can potentially change from week to week. But with Mac now gone, you've got one fewer uh, potential roadblock in Jonathan Taylor having a very successful rookie season. Now, with that being said, they're going to use Naheem Hines. Obviously, we saw that in the game against Jacksonville, but Hines is probably going to be the highest added player in fantasy football uh, heading into week two. But Jonathan Taylor is, if you've got him on your fantasy roster, he's going to put up some RB1 weeks, man. And without Marlon Mack, I feel like there's a lot more confidence in the rookie moving forward. And I think that's that's not a bold statement. It's just pretty obvious. Yeah, no doubt about it. I feel pretty good about, about the situation with Naheem Hines moving forward, and I agree with you. He probably is going to be the top ad across fantasy leagues this year. Another member of the Indianapolis Colts, Doc, that could get some love on waiver wire is Paris Campbell. Yeah, Paris Campbell was a, a terrific player at Ohio State, really special. And then last year just was hurt all season long and never really got a, a shot to, uh, to shine. But I think he's in a great situation now. I think a lot of people thought that Michael Pittman Jr. was going to step up, but I think Campbell is absolutely the number two target there. And look, Hilton is going to have better days. I don't think he's washed, like I said. But Campbell was in 
a great spot. So if you're playing on DraftKings yesterday, I mean, Campbell was a guy to roster because you just have to look at the matchups, right? When, when Campbell had the Jacksonville secondary is weak outside of Henderson. So, I mean, Campbell's going to have a good game next week against the Vikings. Campbell could have a good game. So I think he's more matchup dependent, but I do like what I'm seeing there. And I think that he's absolutely a waiver wire pickup. Michael Fabiano, Waiver Wire article right now, available at si.com slash fantasy. Don't forget, sign up for SI Fantasy Plus and get all the Waiver Wire talk, all the tools, all the excitement, everything you need to take your game to the next level and win your championship in 2020. All right, Fabs, your next guy that you got on the list is Anthony Miller. And I'm like, well, why is Fabs telling me to pick up Anthony Miller? You know, I'm, I'm anti-Bears offense. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? Yesterday, the Bears offense, maybe not the running game, but we kind of expected that. But Trubisky... And, and I talked about bad. him on my in my Stardom and Sidham article as a DFS bargain, and people are probably shaking their heads. Trubisky actually has played well against Detroit in his career. Just go ahead and look it up. But Miller, 76 yards at a touchdown, second most targeted Bears wide receiver behind, of course, Allen Robinson. And he showed flashes last year, man. There was a stretch of the 2019 season when Anthony Miller was very startable and very dependable. And I'm not saying that he's going to be a super reliable option throughout 2020, but this dude needs to be owned across fantasy football leagues. No question about it. Trubisky, he's going to have his good weeks. He's going to have his bad weeks. Uh, it all depends on the matchup here. I think the matchup was right here for Trubisky to have a nice game. And the Bears were also playing from behind in this contest as well. But Anthony Miller's a talented dude. He's a very talented dude. And if he can avoid injuries, I think he's going to be an asset but, for fantasy. But owners. Fabs, at halftime, Anthony Miller didn't have a catch. It was in the second half that they finally right. used him because Justin right. Coleman's a terrible uh, slot guy. So, I mean, I wanted to see more Miller. I think they didn't they didn't use Miller enough. I mean, I, when he's had zero catches at halftime, that's not a number you want to say from him. And based on what he did in the second half, let's hope that the Bears do utilize him a little bit more uh, throughout the course of the games because he's a playmaker, man. He really is. I think he's a good player. Doc, what do you think about Malcolm Brown? Looked pretty good last night, toting the rock for the Los Angeles Rams. He did. He looked great. And you know that I was very high on Cam Akers coming into the, to the season. And I'm not going to lose my Cam Akers love because he did get a whole lot of uh, – he got rushing attempts. I mean, they had 40 rushing attempts against Dallas. That's, that's an insane number. But I think it's clear – that Malcolm Brown is the goal line back. That guy is hard to bring down. He's a big boy. So, you know, look, as much as I like Cam Akers, I think there's a role for Malcolm Brown in this offense. And I think the guy who's getting shut out a little bit is Daryl Henderson. So if you thought that Henderson was the backup, you're going to need an injury to happen because I think it's clear that Akers is going to be part of this offense, even though I wish he'd be more involved in the passing game. But Malcolm Brown, he's not going to leave the field. He's going to see at least 15 touches a week. What are you thinking about that, Fabs? Well, I'll tell you something, Malcolm Brown's going to be one of the top waiver wire ads this week too, but then moving forward, I don't know how excited you can be because it's going to be a committee situation. Cam Akers did start that game. Daryl Henderson, I mean, you could cut him at this point. I mean, that guy, you want to talk about a dude who went from a ton of hype to just absolutely uh, becoming a waiver wire fodder player at this point. It's Daryl Henderson, but this is going to be a two-man backfield between Malcolm Brown and Cam Akers. I hope that Akers at some point is going to get the opportunity to get goal line looks because if that continues to be Malcolm Brown's forte, well, then Akers is never going to be able to hit that statistical ceiling that we were hoping for during his rookie campaign. But at this point, you got to look two-headed backfield monster and McVay is going to play the hot hand and Malcolm Brown had had the hot hand against a Cowboys defense that just could not stop the run and made me absolutely sick. And now there's no Van Der Esch. Fabs, Great. who was covering Damn. Robert Woods? Who was the cornerback on Woods? Nobody. <laughs> Nobody was covering <laughs> right. Robert I mean, Woods. But no, but who's early, the man. Diggs? 
that I don't know. I haven't looked at the game. I haven't looked at the box score oh at this God, point that to was, see. I mean, Woods was open yes. all night long. Well, all well night keep long. in mind, so I mean, the Cowboys, they got some youth in the secondary. You lose Byron Jones. So there's question marks there, man. I'll tell you something right now. Earl Thomas, they better be on the freaking phone to Earl Thomas, all right? Or maybe Snacks Harrison. Get these guys in the building, man, because that defense looked like, I can't swear, but you know what? Yeah, no, it, I, I agree with you on that. That was a problem last season, and his friend is ugly head again this year, and so is Kellen Moore on his play calling. They need to be running some more RPOs. Dak Prescott can run that run that type of game. They don't do it enough. All right, fellas, SI Fantasy uh, Podcast, excuse me, brought to you by the good people over at DraftKings. We saw some interesting debuts yesterday, breaking it down right here on the Overreaction Monday. Corey Parson, Michael Fabiano, and Dr. Roder. Before we get up out of here, Mike, and Doc, I want to run through some of these rookies, get your thoughts. We saw J.K. Dobbins, Zach Moss, Jonathan Taylor, and Joe Burrow. What do you think about those guys yesterday? Well, I'll tell you, for Dobbins, I loved him coming into the season, but that backfield is going to be a nightmare, all right? No Ravens running back saw more than 39% of the team's offensive snaps. Nope. It's going to be one week it'll be Ingram, one week it'll be Dobbins. One week it'll be Ingram, one week it's going to drive you nuts. But both of these guys are flex starters moving forward, right? And and there's going to be games where their floors are absolutely horrible, like Ingram's was yesterday. Zach Moss, I mean, he looked good, man. Devin Singletary, like I get it, like they basically split split the touches, but Zach Moss looked like the most more explosive back in Buffalo. And I think towards the end of the times when people were drafting, we caught up on that. Moss ended up having a higher ADP, probably in the final two or three weeks of fantasy drafts, than Singletary. And that's going to be a committee at this point, too. Doc, let me. I, I want to talk about. I want to talk about Joe Burrow. So I was going to throw it to you for. Yeah, I want to talk about Joe Burrow. So look, there was a lot of good and there was a lot of bad. Let's let's be honest here. The Chargers have a very good defense. You're playing Joey Bosa. You're playing Melvin Ingram. Yeah, you're playing Chris Harris and Casey Hayward. I mean, these are, these are top level guys. So Burrow struggled. He did, but at the fourth quarter, in that drive to tie that game before Bullock shanked it, right? <laughs> he was there. He brought that team down that field, and that was what I wanted to see. He's going to have better games, okay? He will have better games, but as a first game, he put his team in a position to at least tie that game because Bullock should have made that. But I mean, I know he got injured, but that 31-yarder, you expect that your kicker is going to make that. So I think people will look at Burrow's numbers and be disappointed. I'm looking at those numbers and saying, you know what? A first game against that defense I think he's on something. Zach Moss, by the way, looks very good. And I, I just worry about Josh Allen stealing those touchdowns a la Cam Newton. But if, if Allen, if they ever stop running him, Zach Moss is a special player. Mike, what do you think about the Jaguars rookies, James Robinson and Chenault Jr.? Well, Robinson didn't do much from a statistical perspective. So if you started him, you didn't get much. But here's the good news. He handled every single Jaguars running back carry, and he had 17 touches. Where was Chris Thompson, by the way? I thought Chris Thompson was going to get utilized in that game, and uh, it certainly did not happen. I mean, he was absolutely absent, which was awful for fantasy fans. But good news if you did pick up James Robinson, because it looks like he's going to be, quote-unquote, the featured back, right? He only averaged 3.9 yards per carry. Not great. But volume is king in fantasy football. So yeah, but the Col- the Colts the Colts run defense is real right, good. I, mean, I thought good. he did an actually really right. good job against right. them. And the Colts were very good last year. I think they gave up the ninth fewest fantasy points to running backs. So not a huge surprise. But when you're looking at the volume here, well, that is got to be something that will will make you smile. And then in terms of Lavisca Chenault, 
Jacksonville needs playmakers. I mean, he made that one play. He had the touchdown uh, only at 37 yards receiving, but no one really in Jacksonville at the wide receiver position did much from a fantasy perspective. Uh, Gardner Minshew only threw for 173 yards in that game, but uh, LaVisca Chenault also going to be worth uh, a waiver wire claim in deeper leagues. Some of these fast wide receivers, Doc Jalen Rigg and Henry Ruggs, we both see them make beat big catches down the field yesterday, but nothing much else. Yeah, no, but look, you can't blame Rager. I mean, the, the Eagles basically have like no linemen who are healthy, and they had no time because Washington football team has a good defensive line. Chase Young was in, and a, Jonathan a Allen were there all, all game long. Uh, in terms of Ruggs, the problem with Ruggs is that he's a real special player, but when they're winning, they don't pass that much. So it's you're going to have to look and, and look at him on the matchups because when they're losing, I really like him. I mean, I know he left the field with a knee injury. I hope he's going to be okay this week. But I think it's also going to be very game dependent. You would have thought that he would have had more opportunities. But when they got ahead, man, it becomes a Josh Jacobs love fest. So as much as I like Ruggs, I think you've got to be careful with using him on a week-to-week basis. Mike, before we get about here, let me ask you this. You did the waiver wire column earlier. I know it'll be some more waiver wire advice. Any rookie you think is definitely have to be like a must pick up this week in a 12-team league. So when you look at what Joshua Kelly did for the Chargers, and we talked about him last week, you've he's got to be owned across the board now because he had, what, 12 carries, 60 yards, scored a touchdown in the second half. And we had talked about with Melvin Gordon gone, you've got 200 or so touches that were up for grabs. And Justin Jackson was the clear three. Kelly was the clear two, got the touchdown. So he needs to be owned across the board without question. I I think Rieger needs to be rostered. Uh, I don't know that a lot of people drafted him once he went down with the injury. And if they did, it wasn't until late. But he's probably a guy who you can go out and get. Chenault, as I mentioned earlier. Zach Moss, probably owned in most fantasy football leagues. But I feel like the big rookie to go out and get this week uh, is going to be Joshua Kelly, who really looked good. And I don't know that he's going to fill the Melvin Gordon role. The The whole Austin Eckler uh, touch thing was weird yesterday. One target. It was. That's got to change. That, that's got to change if Austin's going to have any kind of impact from a fantasy standpoint that we all sort of expected from him. So that was a bit weird. So I don't know if Kelly's going to be like the new Melvin Gordon. But the opportunities are going to be there for him to have some standalone flex value during the course no, of the season. Ke- Kelly's going to be Kelly's going to be that Fabs. I mean, he was in my he was my stash and cash guy this year. They want to use him as I'm like a, a fifteen I'm touch a guy. And and the thing about Eckler is, you know, look, I don't think he's going to get as many carries, but I think he needs to get more than one reception. I mean, that's that's on Tyrod, who by the way looked terrible, terrible. Jeez. So. I don't know, man. I think that if you if you can't get Eckler five or six uh, receptions a game, you, you know you got lucky with winning yep. yesterday. Yeah, no doubt. I would agree with you on that. Don't forget, we'll be back with you. The SI Fantasy Podcast brought to you by DraftKings coming back to you on Thursday. Get you ready for Thursday night football and the rest of week number two for my main man, Doctor Roto and Michael Fabiano. I'm Corey Paulson, the Fantasy Executive. We are out.